I sat outside the courtroom with her for about an hour and a half, two hours, her asking me questions. And because we knew we didn't want to, yes, we said, we can't just take this child if there's this mom out there who might be looking for her child or whatever. But she showed up with a black eye and missing front teeth. I was like, okay, we're going to rescue this child. <laughs> yeah, she was, she, so, was she was a little messy. Yeah, she was coming from a hard time. Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Erica and Troy Andrews, the voices we just heard, have done. First, suffering through a failed adoption, they put themselves through the process again to rescue a child. It's a wild story of love with twists and turns that would have led most to give up, but not these two. I can't wait for you to meet the Andrews right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Troy and Erica Andrews, how are you? Well, doing well. Doing pretty good. <laughs> Y'all are pretty awesome is what you are. I I, I want to know, um, Lisa, my wife and I have four children. Their ages are 27, 26, 25, and 24. Oh, wow. goodness. <laughs> uh, we got on city water and it cleared up, but it was tough for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I've seen a picture of your family. Um, what are the ages of your children? Well, currently now we have, they're all girls. We have 23, 19 and 14. And then, um, probably one of the little ones we're going to talk about today. She actually just turned 13. Carly. Yeah, Carly. So, so, um, and, and this story today is about unbelievable giving heart that you guys have and and how you felt called to adoption and we're going to get to that we're going to catch the listeners up but i do want to know something you guys um my father and mother were divorced when i was four and um, my father passed away three weeks ago and the time between i was four which is 49 years ago and today he and i had no real relationship whatsoever. And, um, one of the toughest days around my house has always been father's day. Uh, even as a father, I celebrated my own children, but I always felt this sense of loss. And both of you are from divorced families. And when did each of your parents get divorced? (laughs) We were, interestingly enough, we were, uh, you know, we're not the same age. Eric and I were four years apart. Um, but we were almost the same age, exact age when, when our, when the divorce, when our parents got divorced, um, we were both, uh, nine. So that was just kind of an interesting fact that we found about, found out about later, you know, after we met each other and kind of got to know each other, became friends. And so, but it was a little bit different because my dad, my dad was, a was a, is a retired Illinois state police officer and he's still around. Um, and he, uh, he, he, he and my mom divorced when I was nine 
and uh, he he left, and uh, Erica had the opposite. So um, her her mom left when when she was nine, and she was raised by her dad. Did so, did you guys? I I had a real sense of. I, I was an athlete in school. I actually lettered in six sports. I was not really good at any of it, but I was good enough to be doing all of it. Um, <laughs> the athletic director called me a triathlete because I'd try anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, I look back on it and I'm pretty sure my, my father um, played football and baseball and basketball. Cause I found some old clippings once in the attic and he was um, college good, and I, I look back on it now, and I'm I'm almost sure that I was trying to prove myself as worthy because I always wondered why my dad didn't want me, and um, I wonder did either of you ever have a similar feel that you know. Why doesn't my parent want me as divorced children? Yeah, you know, um, I, we each have our, you know, Erica, I'll let her address that for herself. But for me, uh, um, my dad was always, was, was a good athlete as well. And, and he, was, he was always around. One of the things that I would say about my dad that's pretty amazing is, you know, even when he was on duty, my, you know, I was a good, good athlete. I played basketball and we had a very good basketball team. We went to the, went to state every year and uh good football team. And he would, he would always be at my games, but he would be in his uniform standing out in the hall. And mm -hmm. so that was always really nice, but, but it's still, you know, I always kind of had those, uh, you know, resenting feelings about him leaving about, you know, something else in his life being more important than us. You know, it was really kind of more of that. I, f I feel that and I felt that I can identify with that big time. Yeah. And so, so for me, I had to, it really wasn't until I was in college that that kind of flipped or flipped around on me in a pretty radical way. And, uh, I saw dad in kind of a different light, you know, as a, as a person who, had his own circumstances that he dealt with in his life. You know, his dad was a, a World War II veteran and had a very, very, you know, he was on the front lines. Uh, I think he'd landed on Omaha Beach, if I remember correctly. Wow. And, uh, and his job in the military was to lay communication lines in front of the front. So he would sneak out through enemy lines and, and lay the wires so that they could communicate when the front moved forward. So he had a very dangerous job. So when he got back from the war, my grandmother, um, got breast cancer and passed away when dad was 13. And, uh, grandma, um, was kind of his light and grandpa's, they were very close. And so grandpa, you know, ended up like he couldn't take care of the two boys. So he, he basically gave the two boys to a, uh, some people in town. And so really in, until I got later in life and really understood that dad did the best that he could kind of, he didn't really have a standard normal childhood that we hope to give our children as an example. Um, he was very young. I think he, he and mom married when they were 17 and 18, somewhere around in there with a, they was, they were pregnant. 
at 16 and 17. So I don't know. I just, I just saw him in a different light as a man and not on a pedestal as a man who was, you know, doing his best and, uh, had some failings and, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep holding that against him because it was hurting me and him. And so, but that didn't happen for me until in, into college really took. No, but, and I get it. And the poor man sounds like he suffered some abandonment damage himself, but the the truth is, as as an adolescent, you 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 felt what abandonment feels like, and much yeah. like I did as a child of a divorced family, and and I think it's safe to say what you said, you understood as an adolescent what abandonment felt like. Yeah. Did yep. what about you, Erica? Did you have those same feelings? And things were maybe a little bit different in that. I don't know. I kind of put my mom on a pedestal. She got to be, you know, you always talk about the Disneyland dad, you know, the dad that just kind of shows up on the weekends. And it was more, I got to have weekends with my mom in the bigger town because she'd moved to the city. And, and so there, oh, so she was cool. <laughs> she kind of was, I mean, that is, uh, yeah. While all my girlfriends in the, you know, in the locker room, you know, were kind of complaining and fussing about their moms. You know, I thought my mom was my best friend, but as I got older, I realized I didn't need a best friend and a mom. I needed a mom to be a mom. <laughs> and so right. that was maybe a little bit, um, different, but as far as trying to impress, even with my, my dad was very, I, I think you know, my, he loved my mom, certainly was very hurt by her leaving, but I definitely did pretty much every activity. They call me a joiner. I was, I did every activity. I think it was to get either my mom or my dad, get someone's attention. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm going to do everything from the play to sports to, you know, band, everything. And, and I, I know where you're coming from, where you're just kind of, you know, we tell a little girl, you know, I'm twirling, like, look at me and trying to get, um, that attention. But, um, I do also think as as I got older, I definitely saw the sacrifices, especially that my my stepmom made um, after she married my dad. Um, I saw that in a different light as I grew older and had kids of my own as well. So I've I've talked to adults of divorced families like myself and like we're talking about, not divorced families, adults that came from divorced families when they were children, and you know, it is very rare that I don't hear some of the same uh, conversation that we're having and also how that experience and, and, you know, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it is traumatic. So it's trauma. So that same experience that a, that a child experiences and the trauma that they have when they're growing up then as adults have this interesting thing in common that that I feel like which is I cannot imagine a scenario that I would abandon my children or leave my family no matter how hard it got because I know what that feels like and I never want to put another person through it and I'm just curious if, if you guys have that same mentality as a result of all this. Yeah, we do. We do. And, uh, um, it, you know, for us, it's funny. We said early on, it was just so intense for us when we met that, that, uh, look, if we're going to, 
we became real we became very good friends eric and i did before we got married in a very short amount of time we had a lot in common and uh one of the things that we both said to one another is hey you know if we're gonna do this then it's forever divorce is not an option and we we said even in heated moments or arguments that that word will never be bantered about our home <laughs> yeah and it never has you know we're almost creeping up on 30 yeah years 30 here. years next year <laughs> our our 30th is this december oh wow uh, awesome. yay yeah so it's cool all right so this this show is an army of normal folks and what I'm trying to establish through this initial conversation is this. You guys didn't grow up independently wealthy. You grew up in a divorced households. Um, you, you worked to get to where you were when you got married. And you're just average folks trying to make a life who have decided that they're going to have a significant commitment to one another that is everlasting and forever, no matter what because of the trauma and the pain you'd experienced as a, as a kid. Is that fair to set up who you are as a couple before you start having children? Yeah, I would, I would say that's fair. I mean, we, we both came from very humble means and, uh, you know, you, we didn't even know what we didn't have, to be honest with yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, um, but, uh, you know, we made a commitment to one another and, and, uh, you know, that's never changed. So awesome. So we got average Troy and average Erica getting married, not a whole lot of money, um, which, by the way, that was Bill and Lisa Courtney, too. And you start your life and you have Noah and you have Sydney. And then you decide to lose your minds and do something crazy and different. And tell me how that decision came into play. Well, it actually was put on our hearts um, before we had children, oddly enough. Really? Yes. Yeah. We were sitting at a church and a lady had just gotten back from an orphanage in Russia and was doing the old slideshow, you know, back when they had slides and not <laughs> PowerPoint presentations. And she <laughs> yeah, was right. clicking through her pictures and sharing it. And I just felt the Lord kind of laid it on my heart. And I just sat there just looking at those those pictures. And when we got in the car, I just turned to Troy and I said, I don't know. I said, I just feel like, you know, if the Lord blesses us and we have the means and, and we're able to, like, I, I just think we're, we're supposed to adopt. And he said, I do too. I felt the same thing. And so even before we had children, the Lord had sort of planted that seed on our hearts. And then we, we had Noah and things were going really well. And then I had, um, a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy and things didn't go real well there, but we thought, well, maybe, you know, now would be the time to adopt. And then that wasn't the time. Um, and then we had Sydney. So they're four years apart. I say we got one in college at a time, but it wasn't planned. <laughs> and so then we had <laughs> Sydney and we still could not shake it. And we finally just decided, what did we, oh, we went to look into, um, international adoption yeah. and at the time it just things were very crazy i think they had another olympics back then and the time to actually get your referral and have you know get the child in your home was like going on three years and by that time sid was already like three or three or four i think well we, we also you know just and i never could really shake yeah, the fact were... that i was like you know there's kids here that need that need a home 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with going overseas, and I'm not saying that at all. But, but I was. It just, it just felt for me like there's children here. Why do we have to like go and, you know, figure out something overseas and bring some bring somebody here when there's people here that need it. And now, a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first, we really want to hear from you about what the Army and other Army members have meant to you, and consider sharing it on our social media accounts if you'd be open to sharing with us. If you're game for this, write us at army at normalfolks.us or call or text us at 901-352-1366. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, The hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to be. 
Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Tell me, tell me about the slides. You're in church, the woman from Russia. What did, did your heart get pulled by the pictures of these orphaned children? I mean, what, what grabbed you? What pulled your heartstring? Give us, give us a paint a paint a visual of that. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think all of that. I mean, I think it was just seeing that there's children in this world that didn't have anyone, you know, a place to call home. And I don't know that cause that had never been on my radar before. Like I, I don't, I, this had never been on my radar. I, I don't even know that there was one specific thing other than just seeing, you know, their plight and just seeing that there, that there's, how could, how could it be there's children in this world that don't have some, a place to call home? Well, one of the, one of the things that she said to me that she probably doesn't remember is that, you know, you don't, you, you get to pick a lot of things in this world and choose a lot of things, but you don't get to choose who your parents are or what situation you're born into. You know, so, so as it relates to not having, you know, or being born with maybe into, into a household that maybe can't raise you or whatever, you know, you just don't get to choose that. So it's, it's, it's not just. <laughs> you know? So how can we help? you know, bring justice perhaps to, to somebody who's maybe been dealt a hand that, that they had no say in and they didn't do anything wrong, you know? That's a beautiful thought. I've, I've said a lot that it's not just that the possibilities of your success in life is largely dependent upon the zip code at the time of your birth. It's mm-hmm. not just, but it is true. And so we've got this on our heart. We've we've had Noah, we've had Sydney, and then you throw your name in a hat for a group of parents who say we're interested in adoption. How how does the process work? Well, I after the kind of the China going to China just wasn't in the cards for us. I said, well, maybe we're not called to adopt, but just support adoption ministry. And I had a friend that was already volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. It's called crisis. It's a ministry, actually crisis pregnancy outreach. And I thought maybe I'm just, we're supposed to support adoption ministry. So I started volunteering there. I was a mentoring mom where I would, you know, drive a a pregnant mom to, you know, doctor's appointments. I would meet with her and have coffee and just kind of be there and go to support groups with her and just sort of be a mentor um, as she was walking, you know, through her pregnancy. And the the CPO also offered, it, whether you made a placement for your child, like made an adoption, made a choice for adoption, made an adoption plan, or whether you chose a parent, they just, they supported mothers. And so I just started working there. And then um, a friend of mine, got a call about 
about another child and, and it kind of just got the ball rolling like, okay, so maybe, maybe, maybe we should just put our, our name in. And so we, I made a book, you know, a lot of these adoption agencies, you put together a photo book or, or something to that effect. And so we put our book in and actually very quickly um, got a call that we had a birth mother that was interested. Wow. Okay. And that birth mother is what turned into your relationship with Carly. Correct. Right? Yes. So. Okay, this is where it all begins. This is where <laughs> this is this is where normal folks just creating a life step out and do phenomenal loving work. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil one of your lines right now, but when I read it, I, I have thought about it all day. And it's when you say just find ways to be a constant for someone. And I thought about my own adolescence. I, th I thought about my own work that I I've done. And then I've thought about my own children and I've thought about my employees and I've thought about my wife and how important it is to do exactly what you guys say, which is just find ways to be a constant for someone. And in church, it was put on your heart to adopt and you take some time and then you decide to go and introduce us to your experience with Carly. You want me? <laughs> He's looking at me. <laughs> um, one, one of you have to tell me the story. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I don't want She's such one. a better storyteller. Uh, I don't me. know. But I, I always leave. All right, out. Erica, take it. Take <laughs> it. I always leave out important facts. Oh, okay. And if I'm getting too detailed, let me know. Um, well, I, you know, we got this call that a birth mom had wanted to meet us and we met um, the birth mom. And I don't know, I'm not sure I need to protect privacy or anything, but um, she, we met her. She had two um, small boys already, had a little bit of a rocky relationship with the ministry as she had said she was going to place her second child with them. And then just kind of disappeared and, and that never had never went through. So we, but we met her, um, got to know her and the boys. Um, they were not in a social, you know, a good socioeconomic place, um, in life. And we tried to do our best to support and help them. We, we babysat the boys and kept them. And, you know, I took her to doctor's appointments and did different things. You, you and, hold, hold, hold it. You babysat her boys. Yeah, there'd be times when I don't know she needed things, and and they. So you you mean while she's pregnant, with your who's going to be your ad adopted child, you're also caring for her existing children. Yeah, yeah, yeah temporarily from time is, to time. Is that normal? Is that what <laughs> um, normally goes on? I don't know if it's if it's normal, but CPO is very big about open adoption and, and that they're advocates for that. And so we kind of felt like in the process of, of 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 bringing Carly into our life, we were also bringing her and her boys in some ways into our life that they would be connected. Well, well, there would be relationship well, there. Okay, Eric, I, 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 we're going to get into this story, but like I said, you're you're taking me along for a ride here, but. So you're not adopting just Carly. I mean, if you're, if you're, and I, and I don't mean legally adopting these boys, but you're, you're not just bringing into your family's life, Carly, you're bringing in 
with an open adoption, you're you're kind of bringing in a whole nother group of people into your family orbit here. I mean, you're you're reaching out pretty deep, right? Yeah, and and it really was our heart to do that. Like I I saw her as a young mom who I also generationally had been in the system and saw how her boys were living and it wasn't in a great place and so yeah we we felt I don't know obligations not the word but I think our heart kind of broke over those boys and thought gosh if we're bringing their sibling basically you know into our home that I, and I wanted that to be I wanted to build a relationship with the birth mom. I mean, I I did believe in that and and was hoping that our life would be a reflection and be an influence on her life as well. Well, it's there there's been that was definitely one time, but there's been several times where we've kind of looked at each other and said, how can we say no? Yeah. <laughs> how can we say no? I you know, you guys are better than me because I'm pretty sure I might have looked at somebody and said, "How can I say yes?" I mean, that is a lot, y'all. I mean, that is a lot. So you're watching her boys so she can do whatever she needs to do, and you're open adoption, and you're being unbelievably selfless and open. And I, I, yes, that's my narration of it, but that's what I'm hearing. And um, she carries uh, she carries Carly to, to term, right? Correct. And what happens? So it's kind of neat if if someone has not been through it that at, if you're adopting at birth the hospital also if they have the room they gave me a room as if I was the you know get the one giving birth and I got to have a room and got to be very near where the birth mom was and I um was there at the birth at the birth mom's request and actually was the one that cut the cord when Carly was born they treated me very similar. I mean, she did see the baby and spent time with her. Um, but then Carly was in my room at night and was with me, um, in my room a few doors down. And so it was just a really, we brought our girls in, Noah and Sydney. I mean, I think friends came. It was, you know, it was a very, very joyous time. And up into that point, I think to start prefacing the rest of the story, um, you know, she had told us who she believed was the birth father. And we had some doubts about that for various reasons. And the other guy that she had been, quote unquote, dating, his family had been preparing for this baby. But she said, it's not his, it's not his, it's this other guy. And so, but when she was born, there were kind of a few things that seemed fairly obvious that maybe she was not telling the truth about the birth father. But and we let our attorney know, but when she had to go, I think was it 48 or 72 hours, she had, did have to appear to kind of give sort of a preliminary, I guess, custody to us, not legal, but just preliminary. And so our attorney said, I will quiz her up one side and down the other to try to get her to name, you know, who you think is the father. And she didn't. She kept her, with her story of this other guy. Well, why and, couldn't you just have a paternity test and straighten that out all at once? Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't we? <laughs> why indeed the, did we the, not? The, um, the pause and then good idea says a lot, Erica. <laughs> you know, not being the we professionals. Just, well, we, just, yeah. we, we followed the laws of the state of Oklahoma yeah. at the time. 
And oh. so that wasn't that wasn't something that they normally did. This I, is who she named. She, this is once what she they... once she went to the judge and said, "This is who the father is." That's who the judge thinks the father is, and so that's it. Where there's the possibility of a question when a child's future is at stake, I don't know. Common sense and the law don't always necessarily agree, so oh. we can move on. The bottom line is, okay, we're she's convinced that this guy is the father and the judge takes this person at her word. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay, so what happens? So then we things were fine were great for about six no five five six months i mean we still we were doing open adopt you know we were doing visits with the birth mom with the family living our lives sending out the you know birth announcements and just you know bringing carly into our family introducing her you know that's our daughter and this is who she was and she was not an easy baby at the time she was more of a colicky you know kind of of baby, but she was adorable and delightful, and, and we were instantly, of course, in love with her. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. This is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? 
especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. In the fall, she was born in June, and in the fall, we started hearing rumblings that she had, um, that the birth mom had had contacted the other guy and started making noise about that she had actually had the baby. Originally, she had told that family that she had had a stillborn and it was a boy, like that there was... I didn't even, I didn't know that. Yeah, that it was stillborn as a boy, but then she admitted, you know, I think just for the drama of it all, then started telling them, no, she had the baby and it was a girl and she had um, made an adoption plan and that was that. Well, that family started ringing up the ministry, found out where, I think where she, so started calling CPO and started making demands about wanting information and wanting to know. And so well, that, we, we did eventually go get a paternity test. Yeah. So then, so. yes. Yeah, so then after that, we, we we had our court date with the supposed the other birth father, or you know, the actual birth father who was already incarcerated, and so he was going to have to make an appearance in December to come and what do you call it? what's fight fight the fight the the paternity thing. so the way the way it works or did work i don't know if the laws have changed since then but you know when when we did kind of find out that we really do think that this other guy's probably the father we went and did a paternity test with him and sure enough he was the father uh, we didn't so, go do this paternity test we were ordered by the court to pay for the paternity test for the incarcerated birth father that didn't show up for his court hearing. And the law says his rights shall be terminated. But our judge legislated from the bench because the birth father's mom somehow was in the courtroom, stood up and was quite upset and said we were told the baby was dead. I think there was a big emotional plea. Yeah, and to to be honest with you, I think, you know, as you step back away from it, I mean, they were they were told a lie. Oh, of course, and, and of course, they, you know, it was just a it was just a horrible thing for everyone. Yes, for them included. I, I mean, y'all, I'm I'm hearing this, and and I'm picturing. You've got an incarcerated father, a mother who, is not equipped, and is also obviously dishonest. And you've got you two guys who are trying to do things the right way and to, as you say, um, find a way to be a constant for a child who clearly left in this environment wasn't going to get a constant. And all of that's terrible, but everybody involved in that's adults, and my heart is bleeding for this child. Oh yeah, this child that has no idea what's going on, but is caught up in a quagmire of adult craziness. Yes, 
Absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And, and that was, that was the horrific thing of it. So we were kind of caught into a situation. I mean, the judge, even the judge is like, look, you know, here's a birth family who's saying that they were lied to. I, you know, like Erica said, the, the, the way the laws are written in Oklahoma is if, is notice was sent out to him, proper notice was sent out to the birth father in prison. He could have petitioned to be at the court, but he didn't show up. And so, so he didn't. Well, but he was he in jail, right? Yeah, yeah. But they'll. He the, could have. He had to pay seventy-two dollars to be transported, and would have been able to be there. But he chose. He, he didn't yeah, make the effort. Yeah, he didn't make the effort, or didn't have the money, or whatever it was. He didn't show up for the court hearing, but the, but his mother did, oh. and and she said, "Look, he, you know, we were lied to all of this, and so he, so he didn't rule, as stipulated by the by the." by the laws of the state of Oklahoma, he, which it says if the, if the birth father does not show up, the judge shall terminate. And so he didn't do that. He set up another court hearing and gave him more time to get there. And we had to pay for uh, paternity tests and for all that to happen, which, you know, I mean, yeah. That's, <laughs> it's hard because it, you're fighting the for the day, kid. At the end of the day, that's just an irritant. That's not the... That's not the, I get it. I mean, it's like, yeah. you're not following the law. Now you're making me pay for a paternity test. And I I, I get the, the frustration is just mounting step by step by step. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was hard, especially given the, given this, the entire situation. I mean, the birth father was, is a nine time convicted felon. He's in prison, you know, and he's got, I believe he served, what, two more years or something like that. He, he finally got out, and now he's disappeared again, and they haven't seen him since. So they don't even know where he's at after how many years? Yeah. <laughs> Ten years? <laughs> he's... So how long at this point had Carly been your child? Um, the fraternity stuff, that was through February, so from June to February. And then the next the next hearing was on May 10th, so she would have been almost one you've been there at the birth you've nurtured in the hospital room you've gone through some months of colicky crying baby which any of us have had children know how miserable that is and you've loved this child and she is your daughter and and has been for a year and you know, something else that we also got to think about is Noah and Sydney now have a sister who they love and You've got this family building, and what what happens? What does the judge rule? What 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 ends up happening? So when we drove into the parking garage at the courthouse, we prayed, and we just we knew God knew the answer. He knew what was going to happen already before we did, and we just prayed that we would have the strength to get through it, and that we would. That he would give us grace. He would give us, yeah, grace and peace about it. So we went in and we had a few friends out out there praying with us while they were inside. Because really, as just the you know adoptive parents that aren't related, we had zero rights at this point. It was all about what was happening inside that courtroom, and we just had to wait and find out. Yeah, we we didn't we weren't allowed in the courtroom at all. So all <laughs> we this were was, nobody. I mean, at that point, on. the writing unfortunately is on the walls. Your heart may not want it, but your brains probably know it. Well, yeah, Troy did. I did. <laughs> yeah. 
Troy I, did. I didn't. I was just trying to prepare her for what I knew was going to happen. And so, tell us what happened. So uh, the judge, the judge uh, would not grant our adoption, you know, and uh, and so Carly was then thrown into a custody battle between the birth father's family and the birth mother's family, basically. Oh, good grief. Yes, and we, at that point, I did have contact and had started to have conversations with the paternal side of the family. So it was two aunts and a grandma that were very, very interested in, I think, having Carly in their lives um, permanently. And so I did have some conversations with them. And ultimately there was, we, we had to, the judge did not like, like strongly disliked the birth mother because of this whole mess was because of her manipulation, her lying. And so we ended up a month, about a month later, no, not even that, 10, yeah. 10 15 days, 10 days later, tw- um, handing, packing up Carly and then, um, giving her, we had to hand her over to the paternal aunt. So one of the sisters that had of, to have been just, that had to have been all, that had to have been the most tearful. I, I can't, I mean, when you bond with and raise a child, you were giving your child away. I mean, that had to have been just heart wrenching. Yeah, it was hard. It was, uh, it's still hard, you know. So, uh, just kind of remembering all that again, and it was hard. You know, it was hard for us, but you know, it's it was very, very hard on Sydney, our, our middle daughter, uh, in particular. But I mean, she we kind of had gotten her to the point. She was at the age where she was sleeping in her own bed and everything, and she was always that girl that would run down in the middle of the night and get in, jump in the bed between us and sleep. And keep us up the rest of the night, kicking us in the ribs. But <laughs> I remember those nights. <laughs> we had her sleeping in her own bed for for really a year almost. And right after we gave Carly back, she was right back in our bed again for almost another year. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's traumatic. I, I get it. So you go, you 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 feel called to do this. You 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 put yourself out there, and you don't only just care for the child you you actually care for the child's birth mother and son and and this thing happens and it's gut-wrenching and it interrupts your family and your 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 two daughters before and so you say well you know what we did that let's move on and so uh you moved on and that was it right no more well we we actually got we we got a little bit involved in in uh you know, at the point that we, you know, we were no longer going to have Carly. We had no legal right to her. You know, we, what we wanted to do is there was going to be a custody battle between the birth mother's parents and the birth father's parents. And so at that point we just decided, okay, what's the best option for Carly in this situation? And, uh, um, we got to make sure we, we really felt that the birth father, even though the birth father was incarcerated, you know, his sister, half-sister, was in a pretty good, you know, she had a good job. She was a nurse, uh, is a nurse. And, uh, you know, she she had seemed to be the most stable situation. And the birth mother's family was a little more of the same. You know, there was a lot of kids, a lot of, you know, 
a lot of really tough situation there. And so we just decided. Just a lot of dysfunction. Yeah, a lot of dysfunction. That's the best way to say it. And we just thought then this place, the birth, the birth father's family is the best place for her. So we helped pay some of the legal bills to make sure that that's where she was. And because they didn't have, they didn't have good legal counsel to fight a battle. That is so selfless, but I get it because you're doing the best you can for your daughter. And yeah. even though she's not going to live with you, she's your yeah. daughter. So you're doing the best you can to take care of her. Yes. Yeah. And that was, you know, a few weeks after we handed her over, I really struggled because I thought there's, there is a socioeconomic difference and I, and there were a lot of differences, but I really thought, how are we going to keep relationship with her? Like, how is this going to hurt her or help her for us to stay as a part of her life? And believe me, I think it would have been a lot easier to, for us to have just wiped our hands of it and walked away. But I think you were alluding to your kind of <laughs> spoiling the, the punchline a little bit. I called a good friend of mine from high school that was that is a child psychologist and just said, what do we do? I mean, you know, do we just walk away? The, the family wanted us to stay. The paternal family wanted us what's to stay. What's the best thing for yeah, her, what's for it? us to do? Yes, if we stay to... in her life, are we going to make it more difficult? Or do we need to stay in her life? I mean, we don't want to hurt her any more than, I mean, she, yes. at this point in her life, she's one years old. She's never going to know yeah, anything know about us. She'll never know. Right. And that's when she said to me, no matter how dysfunctional situation, if there's one constant in a child's life, it will make all the difference in the world. And so that is what we decided to do. Because like you were saying earlier, too, I'm sure you had coaches and, you know, friends, dads and people that sewed into your life in the areas where your dad wasn't there for you. And I think both Troy and I can name teachers and, you know, my youth group leader, you know, people that yep. filled in those gaps for us. And so that was what we decided. That's the day we decided that we would be her constant. And so, you know, that that has been hard. It's not been easy. Um, we see her every year. Yeah, we see her. We still have a relationship with her. And, um, and we're still Mommy Erica and Daddy Troy. And, you know, it's been a decade, which is... <laughs> Or longer than that. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's 13. So, I mean, it's been longer than that. It's been a long time. But it's, it has been, you know, the one thing that we did feel. And there were, there were a couple, two, three years where the system was a mess around her. I mean, with the both sides of the family fighting for her. And as we all know, the system does not protect the children. It, it protects the stupid adults in the situation. Like, it seems like they're the ones that have all the power and the children have none. And so we, it was hard. We had to sit by and watch, you know, her be juggled back and forth, have her, you know, her future in jeopardy. And at one point she was supposed to be moved from, so she was with us a year. She was with the aunt for two years. And then they had a DHS worker that was going to recommend a move to move her now from the only place she's known for two years, to be reunited with her sibling group, which the sibling group had grown since then, since her birth, and not one of them were from the same father or the same, you know, she'd never lived under the same roof with them, and they were going to get ready to move her. And that's when I say, <laughs> Mama Erica rang heaven and hell. Like, we used what power we had to help her stay where she was with the aunt 
and make that help that be permanent because we could not fathom for a moment of having her be moved again, torn from a home <laughs> that she knew that for two been, years. That would have destroyed her yeah, mouth. There's and, no, and no doubt. So, Guys, I mean, this story is, is, is sad, but it's also redemptive because you have remained a constant for her and have continued to fight for her even as she was taken from you. And, and I think that's beautiful. And, you know, that's where normal folks do extraordinary things like yourselves. And, and I, you know, it's, it's amazing, but having gone through that, I can just imagine had I gone through it, you know, uh, you know, tried it, uh, I think I'm going to drop back and punt and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do something different. And um, was I, I, that's what y'all did, right? Yeah. The, the, my friend and neighbor that worked at or volunteered at CPO called me. Oh, gosh. So this would have been January. So we, we had to hand Carly over and we did it in June around her first birthday. And then this was about nine months later. My friend calls me and she says, um, I don't know if you're ready. And I'm not sure I was, but she said, we have a birth father that's called the, you know, called CPO and is looking to place his three and a half year old daughter. Okay. And now, now you've become crazy, a glutton and nuts. <laughs> yeah. You, you are crazy people at this point. <laughs> After all the pain and effort and money and time you've just gone through and still having no way completely recovered from all of that emotionally you're actually going to try this again <laughs> well, how, how can we say no that was oh it we gosh. kept pretty and it I was could, like troy i can tell you about 15 different ways <laughs> <laughs> we just looked at each other and we thought this little girl needs needs somebody to care for her And that concludes part one of my conversation with Erica and Troy Andrews. And part two is now available. And I promise you guys, you do not want to miss this incredible adoption story. But if for some strange reason you do, make sure to join the army of normal folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of the movement. By signing up, you'll also receive a weekly email with short episode summaries in case you happen to miss an episode, or you might prefer just reading about our incredible guest. Together, guys, we can change this country, and it starts with you. I'll see you in part two. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.